Well, today we're going to be in the book of Jude, which I promise is probably the only church in the world that on the Sunday before Easter is preaching from the book of Jude. But as we are walking through the study of God's Word, walking through from Genesis all the way, and we'll be there next week in Revelation, uh, we're walking through all of God's Word. We're going to teach from every single book of the Bible in 2021. And so next week we will com- conclude that in the book of Revelation. And uh, it's just been exciting to walk all the way through. And last January we started in Genesis, and man, we've just kind of marched all the way through, and God has blessed it because of the impact of God's Word in our lives. And so today we're in the book of Jude. It's a short little book. If you can't find it, just go to the end, go to Revelation, and then turn back a page, because it's a one-chapter little letter that was written by this guy named Jude. Now some of you are sitting back and saying, well, who is this Jude? Is this some guy that the Beatles wrote about? No, it's not. Jude is uh, actually a guy that's talked about in the Bible. Uh, He's talked about, he even talks about himself. He introduces himself there in the first verse in the letter that he wrote, where he says that he's the brother of James. Well, that's great. That clears it up, doesn't it? He's the brother of James. Like, well, wait a minute. Why is that impactful? Here's why. Because Jude, who is the brother of James, recognized the two of them as brothers were also the brother of somebody else. Does anybody know who else they were the brother of? Jesus. And so this letter that we're going to study today was written by the brother of Jesus. Now you say, well, why didn't he just say Jude, the brother of Jesus? Well, he kind of did, but he did it in a different way. Because what he said, if you look in the verse, in verse 1 of Jude, he said this, that he is the brother of James and a bond servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the word used there is the word doulos, which is the word meaning slave. Now he said, I'm a slave to my Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Why is that such an impactful statement? Well, if you go back to John chapter 7, verse 5, you don't need to turn there. But in John chapter 7, verse 5, it says this, that even the brothers of Jesus did not believe in him. And so here, as we talked about a few weeks ago when we were in the book of James, we're now here in this book, the book of Jude. Isn't it interesting to know that they go from John's gospel in chapter 7, verse 5, where they did not even believe, to now they actually refer to themselves as slaves to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? What made the difference? What changed? Here's what changed. Jesus died on the cross, and they saw him die, and then they saw him rise again. You see, any time that the resurrected Jesus shows up in someone's life, it changes everything. And so Jude writes this letter. And like many of the letters that we've studied in the last few weeks, Jude writes this letter for the purpose of encouraging the church to remain faithful. Now, why is that such an important thing? Well, as we've talked about, it seems like every single week for the last, I don't know, seven or eight weeks, the reason this is so important is because the church now, this is about 60s or 70s AD, and the church now is becoming a little bit more mature. Like, so Jesus has already died, he already rose again, already ascended back into heaven, and now here, you know, the church is about 30 or 40 years old. And so, as like lots of churches, you know, after some season, after some time, as time passes, people get a little bit complacent in their faith. They get a little bit lazy in their faith. And when people get complacent and lazy in their faith, guess what happens? Well, Satan sees an open door. And when Satan sees an open door, then some competing philosophies begin to flood into the church. Some different types of teachings flood into the church. Some things that begin to question or begin to challenge or at times even begin to attack the gospel of Jesus Christ. They begin to enter into the church. Now that was happening back in this time. 
And Jude understood that. He knew that. He recognized what was going on. Now, here we are 2,000 years later, and again, nothing has changed. In fact, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Because in today's culture, guess what happens? The same kind of stuff. The same competing philosophies, the same challenge to our faith, and the same attacks to the gospel of Jesus Christ are entering into the church in every situation, in every setting, in every city all around the globe today. And so while this letter was important then, this letter is important now. In fact, I want you to turn, if you would, to Jude. We're going to read uh, to kind of a summation statement of what this book is really all about in the third verse of Jude. And it just simply says this, and I want to make sure you understand why he wrote this letter. In Jude chapter 3, he writes this word, Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation that we share. In other words, like what I really wanted to do was send you like an encouraging letter to make everybody feel good about the fact that we love Jesus Christ. Like I, I just wanted you to feel good about your faith. And so he says, while I was eager to write you that letter... He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. Now that's an important verse because in that verse what he says, the reason I'm writing this letter, even though men I would love to make you feel good about yourself, I would love to make you feel good about what you believe and what you stand on. That is what I would like to do, but I cannot do that. I'm not allowed to do that because the Holy Spirit of God has told me to tell you, hey, there is an attack. There is danger afoot in the church today. And so I'm writing to encourage you, to challenge you, to beg you, to contend for the faith that was delivered to us once and for all. In other words, what he's telling us is, hey, you have been called to stand up for what you believe in. We've all been called to stand up for what we believe in. We've been called to stand up for the gospel. Now, we see it today, they saw it then, that there are all of these competing statements that are coming into the church, the attacks against the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are trying to say, hey, listen, as long as you're a good person, and as long as you love everybody, and as long as you wrap your arms around people, and help people, and give, and serve, and go, and just, you know, be really kind, and be really nice, by golly, everything's going to turn out just great, and we're all going to work our way to heaven, no matter what path that we take, and we're going to be there and everybody's just going to be smiling and happy for the rest of time. The problem is, is the Bible that I read says something completely different. The Bible that I read simply says this, that you must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that He died and that He rose again. And if you believe in that, you have the promise and the hope of eternity in heaven. And if you reject that, you will spend eternity in hell. Jesus is the only way. That's the Bible that I read. And that's what Jude is saying here. We must contend for our faith. We've got to stand up for what we believe in. We do not have the luxury of putting it aside and just trying to all get along. We don't have the luxury of saying, well, that's, you know, that's offensive. We don't want to say that because it might people make people feel bad if we tell them that Jesus is the only way and, and that if they don't believe in Jesus that they're going to spend eternity in hell. That's not very inclusive. It's not very kind. It's not very nice. And it might step on people's toes. So what? The gospel is offensive. The gospel does step on people's toes. And by the way, it should step on your toes. Because if it does not step on your toes, it will not bring, around, bring about change. 
If it does not make you, you know, kind of feel a little bit of pain, it's not going to change who you are and what you do. And so the Bible tells us that we must not be ashamed. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation to all who believe. We do not have a choice on what gospel that we preach. We do not have an option of what gospel that we stand on. Jude says, contend for the faith, stand up for the faith, defend the faith, stand strong on what you believe, and tell the world that Jesus is the only way, period. We must believe that. We must understand that. And the reason that Jude writes this is because back then, Evil people were coming into the church, and they were beginning to attack the church from within. And by the way, nothing's changed. In fact, if you read in Jude verse 4 and read all the way down to verse 19, I encourage you to do that later today, Jude kind of talks a lot about that. He talks about the Gnostics, you know, that thing we talked about last week, that mystical knowledge-based belief system that people are like better than anyone else because they have this secret little thing that they understand and that they know. He talked about how that they were coming in with the sinister idea of trying to tear down what Jesus had built as he built his church. And then he also talked about what was coming. He talked about the, 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 the punishment that they will experience because of the work that they were doing to tear down this thing called the gospel of Jesus Christ. He talked about the condemnation that is certain to come and the judgment that is guaranteed. He makes it very clear like, hey, things are not right when people are bringing that message in and God will punish that. Nothing has changed there either. God will punish those who attack the gospel and who do not stand up for truth. And so we recognize and we understand. Jude says, like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm writing you, even though, man, I'd love to just, like, make you feel good. I'd love to write you a letter that's, like, just, a, you know, a happy, you know, candy canes message. I would love to do that. Can't do that because I have been called by God to beg you to contend, to stand up for what you believe in, to make sure you understand that we've got to stand up for truth, that we've got to stand up for righteousness. Now, he writes about verses 4 through 19, like all of the evil that the people are doing, right? And then he gets up to verse 20, and then he begins to kind of give us some instruction on how it is that we stand up for our faith, like what we must do. He gives us some, some kind of clear understanding of how it is that we can contend for our faith. And the first thing that he tells us in this idea of contending for our faith in verse 20, as we go back to this passage, is he tells us, hey, you're called by God to grow in what you believe. Like, you cannot just stay where you are. You cannot accept Christ and then go sit in the corners like all is well, because I'm now a Christian, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. You are called to grow. Look what it says in verse 20. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now... I want to just focus on that phrase there. You see it here on the verse. It says, build yourselves up. Now, that phrase, build yourselves up, is the Greek word epikodemia, which is the idea that we have a responsibility to build up or literally to stack up our faith. So, like, if I were to go around and, like, collect a bunch of Bibles here real quick, and I take my Bible and I put it here, and then I take yours and put it on top of that, and then we just kept going, stacking them, stacking them, stacking them, pretty soon it's going to get really high, right? And it's going to get really heavy. If I tried to pick it up, like, it would be stout, it would be heavy, it would be firm, because there'd be so many Bibles stacked up. That's the idea that Jude says here. You've got to stack up your faith. How do we do that? 
How is it possible to build up our faith and to stack up our faith? And there's really only one way. Can anybody guess what that one way is? We do it by spending time getting to know God. You cannot grow in your faith if you do not know the God of your faith. And so we have been called to study God's Word, to spend time in the Scripture. We've been called to to literally understand what it is that God has to say to us through His Word. We must spend time in God's Word if we're going to grow. That's why we challenge you to read through God's Word. It's why at the beginning of this year we put up the reading plan so that we could read through God's Word and and have the opportunity together of doing that. And we had over 15,000 people that have read through God's Word together through our reading plan this year. How exciting is that? And then we're coming up here in a couple of weeks. We're going to kind of turn the clock over to 2022. And and on January the 2nd, we're starting another reading plan where we're going to read through God's Word together again. This time we're going to do it through the chronological uh, appearance of the Bible, like in in the chronological order that the things appear. We're going to start there January 2nd. We're going to read through it again. And you say, wait a minute, didn't we just do it last year? Yep. And we're going to do it next year. And then guess what? When 2023 rolls around, guess what we're going to do again? We're going to read through God's Word again. Why? Because the more time we spend in God's Word, the more time we stack up our faith. We build ourselves up, which helps us then to be able to contend for the faith, to stand up for the gospel, to stand up for this thing that we talk about. I was reading this week and heard a couple of quotes that I want to share with you that kind of play along with this idea of stacking up or building up our faith. David Wall said this, he said, fundamental to such growth, this idea of building ourselves up, is to learn as much as possible of the truth of Scripture and to set one's life to believe and to obey it. In other words, fundamental, important, critical, vital, can't do without it, of this idea of building up our faith, of stacking up our faith, is the idea that we have a deeper understanding of God's Word, and as a result, that we have a commitment to obey God's Word. And by the way, just so you know, the more time you spend in God's Word, the easier it becomes to obey God's Word. The more time you spend reading what it is that God has to say, the much easier it is for you to actually do what God has told you to do. Now here, let me ask you a question. Anybody in the room, and again, if you want to raise your hand, fine. If you want to keep your hand down, um, that's fine too. But by keeping your hand down, you'll actually uh, kind of confirm my idea behind this question. Do you ever find it difficult to do what God calls you to do? Just raise your hand. You ever find it difficult? Yeah, now those of you who kept your hand down, so I know, like, like you're like in the top echelon of those who have, because you're not even willing to raise your hand to say that, and so by doing that, you're actually not willing to tell the truth. Therefore, yeah, you have a hard time. In other words, all of us have a hard time making sure that we're following after what God has called us to follow, to do what God has called us to do. We have a difficult time obeying. All of us have a difficult time obeying. And whether it be a little baby, my my little granddaughter, Olivia, she's awesome. She's 16 months. She's perfect. She is. I mean, she really is perfect. But she doesn't always obey either. You know, she loves to sit in her high chair and we'll give her food. And and we have at our house, we have four dogs. I don't know why. We have four dogs at our house. And she'll sit in a little high chair at the house and we'll feed her. We'll put the food on the the tray of the high chair. 
And so she'll eat for a little bit. And then when it gets to the point when she's done eating, here's what she does. She just takes it and she just starts throwing it off of the tray. And she just starts throwing it down. My dogs love my granddaughter. Can you imagine why? And they always, whenever she comes to the house, they just sit around the high chair waiting for her for dinner time, right? And she just sits there and just throws stuff down. And we say, no, don't do that. Don't do that, Olivia. She'll look at us with a smile on her face with melts my heart. And then she'll throw the stuff right back down on the ground again. And she does it over and over again. She has a difficult time obeying, as we all do. But here's what's true. The more time you spend in God's Word, the easier it is to obey God's Word. And so Jude makes it very clear. you got to build ourselves up. I love what Warren Wiersbe said. He says, I've yet to meet a fruitful, impactful Christian who ignores God's Word. Did you catch that? Warren Wiersbe said, I've yet to meet a person who's growing in their faith, impactful in their faith, making a difference in their faith. And by the way, let's be honest, we all would love to be good Christians, wouldn't we? Anybody here want to be a bad Christian? Just raise your hand. Yeah, don't raise your hand. If you do raise your hand, I need to talk to you afterwards. Like, all of us want to be good Christians, right? But what he said is, I've yet to meet one who is, who doesn't spend time in God's Word. And so Jude makes it clear, like, man, we've got to make sure we're growing in what we believe. But then he says this. He goes on to verse 21 to give us the idea that we're also called to love through what we believe. Look what it says in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Now, what does that mean? You see that statement? Keep yourselves in the love of God. I love this is like I'm a weatherman. In the in the love of God, right there. How do you keep yourselves in the love of God? Hey, this is clear. It's easy. It's not hard to figure out, right? It's an easy statement. Here's how we do it. God's Word tells us how we stay in the love of God. It tells us in God's Word that we will, we will be able to, to prove our love for God when we obey God. So do you see how this is this kind of like a natural progression, right? Right? So we're called to to stand up for what we believe in, right? We stand up to contend for our faith, right? We understand that if we're going to contend for our faith, that we have to build ourselves up, that we have to stack up our faith, we have to grow in our faith. We grow in our faith by spending time in God's Word. And then it says to stay in the love of God. How do we stay in the love of God? We stay in the love of God by doing the Word of God, and we can do that because we've been in the Word of God. It's all, listen, this is not rocket science, people. It's easy. God's Word makes it so clear. So grow in your faith. How do you grow in your faith? Stay in God's Word. Live your life in the love of God. How do you live in the love of God? By obeying God's Word. How do you obey God's Word? By staying in God's Word. You see, it's a circular statement. Everything wraps back around to getting to know God better every day. That's what we're called to do. That's our responsibility. That is what it is that God has told us. You've got to make sure, love Him completely and obey Him completely. How do you do that, God's Word? And so he tells us, like, like continue in. We're called to, to, to live out our lives in the love of God, loving in the way that God told us to. The next thing he tells us in verse 22 and 23, we're called to help others in their belief. Like, so we can't just keep this thing internal, internal. We can't just go, like, you know, be inclusive and go sit in a corner. It's like it's all about us and it's not about other people, right? We, we want to ignore it. And it's all about me as long as I'm good, as long as I'm growing in my faith. I don't really care about other people. And by the way, there are a lot of people in this thing called Christianity that, that live that way. They will never say it, but boy, they do do it by the way they live. And so what does it say in verses 22 and 23? 
He says this, have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Okay, now, when you read that passage, like right up front, to be honest with you, I think everybody in this room, we would read it and we would sit back and think, the first thing that would run through our minds is like, what does that mean? Like, you know, when you read, like, what does that mean? What is, I have mercy on those who waver, save others by snatching them from the fire. That probably, we can get that. Then have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment. Like, what does that mean? Let me just make it real, real clear, real simple for you to understand. So, in this verse, or these two verses, Jude is talking about two, three different types of people. Three different types of people, okay? That's all he's talking about, three different types of people. The first one, where it says, put the verse back up if you would, where it says right up front, have mercy on those who waver. There's a, man, I'd be a good weatherman. Have mercy on those who waver. Now, what group is that? That's talking about people who are in the faith, people who've come to Christ, right? Because there are some people who are in the gospel, walking in their faith, have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, believing that He died and that He rose again, and at some point in their journey, they will backslide. Anybody in the room ever backslid? I've got my hand raised. And again, those of you who don't have your hand raised, congratulations, you just did it, right? Because we've all done that, right? We've all had moments in our lives where we've struggled, where we've wavered in our faith. And so he tells us right up front, that's the first group of people. And so what we must do as a follower of Christ, help those people. We must have mercy on those who waver. In other words, help them. Stand with them. Wrap your arms around them. Help to pray with them, pray for them, and lead them back to the kind of life that God intended for them to live. Now, put the verse back up. Let's find the second verse, second group of people that are found here in this verse. Verse 23, save others by snatching them from the fire. Can anybody figure that one out? That one's pretty easy, right? That is a call, a restatement of the Great Commission, that we're called to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because without Christ, if we die, without believing in Jesus Christ, we will spend eternity in a real place called hell. Therefore, by saving them, having mercy on them, sharing the gospel with them, we are snatching them away from the eternal fire that is hell, and we're delivering them into the presence of God into an eternal place called heaven. And so that makes it clear. Second group, those who are not saved that we're called to reach. But then there's a third group, put the verse back up, and here's the next group. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now, who's this group? This group is also those who have not come to Christ. But this is a group that's like the tough people, like the ones that are like really far, the ones that are kind of really out there, the ones that oftentimes you would look at and say, man, they're so bad, I don't even want to be around them. Like, I, I know they don't, they, man, they're never going to come to Christ. Like, these are really, really bad people. And as followers of Christ, it's really easy for us to get to the place in our journey where what we might do is we might ignore them. What we might do is turn our noses up towards them and back away from them and walk away from them and not try to reach them. Now, when you read this verse, it kind of makes you think, put the verse back up, it would kind of make you think back in this spot, with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. The idea here, it could make you believe that we're called by God to stay away from those people. And as followers of Christ, here's what we would like. We would like to stay away from those people. We'd like to believe that that's what Christ is telling us to do. Like, stay away from them. They're bad people. 
I remember many times my dad would be around some people and hang around some people, had friends with some people, but like were really bad. And there were times I literally said, Dad, why are you a friend with this person? Like they are everything that you preach against, they do. They live it. They, I mean, they're the epitome, the embodiment of everything that you preach against. How can you be their friend? And his answer would always be the same. He would say this, because one day they're going to recognize the journey they're on, and they're going to know that they need something. I want to earn the right to be that call. That is the rest of this verse. Put it back up again again. Have mercy on others. In other words, those who are away from God, those who are far from God, those who are like the, the, the embodiment of everything that we believe against, like, like that's who they are. So have mercy on them, like care about them, try to reach them with the gospel, but also be wise. And that wisdom that's found here is like, don't allow them to pull you into their way of living. So in other words, like focus on like, I want to reach them with the gospel. But man, I'm not going to compromise and sacrifice my walk and my faith by doing so. So there's three groups of people. And here's the call that Jude gives to us in verses 22 and 23. Hey, you are called by God to help others in their journey. It's not an option. It's not something that you can choose to do if you have time. It is something that you are commanded by God to do every day, all day, wherever you are, whoever they may be, whatever they may do, God has called you to help them in their journey. And so we see this passage. Again, he makes it clear, like you've got a responsibility, like to stand up for your faith. You've got a responsibility to grow in your faith. You've got a responsibility to to live in love. You've got a responsibility to help others. But then he comes to this last statement, and here's where he kind of gets around to what he really wanted to do in the first place, but God wouldn't let him. He gets around to this last statement. It's like, oh, and by the way, I actually do want to make you feel good about yourself. I want to encourage you today. And so in the last couple of verses, here's what he does. It says he helps us to understand that we're also called by God to spend eternity with him. Look in verses 24 and 25. Verses 24 and 25 says this, Now to him who is able to protect you from, uh, from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great love, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and power and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Man, I love those two verses. Because here's what it says back in verse 24. He says this, to God who is able to protect you from stumbling. In other words, when you think that you don't have what it takes to make it through, when you feel like you don't have what it takes to actually live this life that God has called you to live, God is able to keep you from stumbling. God will empower you to live the life that he's called you to live. And there are often times, let's be honest, when we read about what God's Word tells us we're supposed to do, we're like, man, I can't do that. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not clean enough. I'm not, you know, I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough. I can't do that. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, God will do it. But then here's the encouraging part. Listen to what it says next. And not only to keep you from stumbling, but to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. I love that because here's what God's word says. And then one day that Jesus Christ is going to usher you into the presence of the Father and he's going to introduce you to his Father and our Father and we're going to stand there and we're going to be without blemish. In other words, he's going to present us worthy. And I love that because here's what I know about everybody in this room, what I know about everybody watching this television program right now, listening to us on radio right now. Here's what I know about every one of us. There's not a one of us here that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. None of us are worthy. Let me say that again in case you missed it. None of us are worthy. 
Oh, but the power of God, the love of God, the presence of God. And not only is he able to keep us from stumbling, but he also one day will usher us into God and say, oh, and by the way, here is your son, here is your daughter, and they are worthy of my blood. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. I love that. Some of you came to church today expecting a Christmas message. You're like, wait a minute, he's talked about hell. This isn't a Christmas message. He's talked about condemnation. This is not a Christmas message. It is the most Christmassy message that I've ever preached. Because all of God's word really is a Christmas message. Because a Christmas message has nothing to do with a manger and a baby in Bethlehem. That's how it starts. That's part of the story, but that's not the story. The story is the gift. The story is the fact that by Jesus coming... And by him being born and living and dying and rising again, that by believing in him, the Christmas message is just simply this, that we who are unworthy will be made worthy. And I'm going to tell you something, that is the greatest Christmas message you could ever hear. And in fact, so much so, put the verse back up on the screen. I want to be a weatherman just one more time. I love how it reads, put the verse back up on the screen. Somebody wake them up. There we go. Okay, here. No, not that one. The next one. Next, verse 25. And so it says, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Like that just talks about the majesty of God, the power of God, because he's made us worthy. And then you'll notice right here at the end, he puts a period after forever, and then a one-word sentence. That doesn't make sense. All the English teachers in the room are like, you can't do that. Yes, you can here, because that last word just simply says, amen. A word that we use all the time when we pray, right? Except for Scott a little while ago when he prayed, he didn't use it. Uh, but we use that word all the time when we pray, right? And we pray that over our meals, and we pray that when we go to bed, and we pray that over our family, and we pray that over our kids, we pray that, you know, oh, we pray that over exams, right? We pray that prayer, and we say, amen. Now, that word amen, we, don't, we just use it because our parents did. We think that's what we're supposed to do. We are preachers do it, we are our parents do it, so therefore every, every prayer ends in amen. Here's what amen means, and this is why it's so important at the end of this letter. Amen amen means this so be it so be it he is able to protect you from stumbling while you're here and he will present you to the father without blemish worthy of the gospel worthy of the blood of jesus christ worthy of his death and burial and resurrection he will present you to the father worthy to spend eternity in his presence you will be worthy not because of what you've done but because of what he's done because of his majesty and of his power because he is lord of lords and king of kings and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord so be it and that's what Jude ends this letter with. And today, for every person in this room, that is my Christmas message for you. That everyone in this room, we come into this life unworthy, lost, with no hope. And because of the love of Jesus Christ, God the Father sending him to come and to die on that cross and to rise again three days later. He wrapped up the most perfect gift that you will ever open. And all we must do is reach out with our hands and more importantly, reach out with our heart 
and pull on the ribbons of that gift and open it up and to simply say, I believe and what was unworthy will now be worthy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for encouragement. Thank you for hope. Thank you for making us worthy that one day we will stand in your presence, not because of what we've done, but because of what you have. And Father, I pray for every person in this room, if there's someone here that has never made that decision to believe in Jesus Christ, that right now will be the moment, this will be the time. And God, for that, we'll give you the praise. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, God's gonna lead us this morning. Our team is gathering here at the altar, and as we do every week, this altar is gonna be open. We're gonna stand together, we're gonna sing, and when we do, the invitation to you is for you to simply make a decision that God intended for you to make before the foundation of time. The Bible tells us that Jesus came and that he is not willing that any should perish, that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, believing that he is God's son, that he died and that he rose again, unfortunately, that word lost refers to you. And while that's unfortunate, the fortunate part of it is we can change that right here today. And it doesn't take you signing up for anything. It doesn't take money. It doesn't take a degree. It doesn't take the right name or the right church or the right denomination. Here's what it takes. It takes believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died and that He rose again. And so if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, when we stand in a moment, I invite you to come down to this altar, talk with one of our team. We'd love to pray with you and to share with you who Jesus is. Maybe you're here today and you are a Christian, but you're that Christian who's stumbling, the one who's backsliding, falling away, which we've all done. Today, the great news is this, is that God will keep you from stumbling when you simply come to him and say, God, I'm sorry, and I want to turn things around. Maybe today you need to come and kneel here and just pray. Say, God, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. Whatever the situation, get it right before God today. Maybe today you want to come and join our church or come for baptism. Maybe you want to come and pray for a family member, a friend. Whatever it is that God's speaking to you, let's stand. And as we sing, the altar's open, and I encourage you to step out right now. Scott, would you lead us? In this time of desperation When all we know is doubt and fear There is only one foundation We believe
Lord, to help others in their journey so that we can be all that you have intended for us to be, so that one day we will stand before you and that we will spend eternity in your presence. Thank you, God, for that greatest of Christmas gifts. Lord, we pray that you would bless and use us to accomplish your mission of reaching the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our altar remains open. We'd love to talk with you, to pray with you. If you want to come down, please feel free to do so. God bless you. Don't forget, Christmas Eve, 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock. We'll see you then. Have a good week. Thank you for worshiping with us today here at Thomas Road. If you prayed to receive Christ, we would really like to hear from you. If you'd like to know more of what it means to be a Christ follower, then let us hear from you. There's no better time than right now during this Christmas season to receive God's gift to you, that is His Son, Jesus. Our mission here at Thomas Road is to develop Christ followers who love God and love people. If you would like to join us in fulfilling that mission by giving to our ministry, you can go to the link on your screen and make a contribution to our ministry. Help us help others as we extend the truth of God's love in this life-changing message. God bless you and Merry Christmas.